May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Cuke Audio podcast. I'm D.C. Puba of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives, doing our bit to help preserve the legacy of Shunyu Suzuki and those whose paths cross his. And anything else that comes to mind, I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. So um, today we have a guest. Oh, but before I tell you who the guest is, I want to say in the introduction, Jay, you know how I say Shunyu? That's really not right. It's Shunyu. You know, there's some words I learned to say before I started studying Japanese. <laughs> and I pretty much still say them that way. It's not shunryu. It's shundu. And that R-Y-U is, you throw a little D in on it. There are R's in the front of the mouth. So we can't really say an R-Y-U. R-Y-U. Um, but they say more like do. Um, but, um, and and um, I'm not saying anymore, or I, I'm, I'm trying not to say preserving the legacy of Shunyu Suzuki and those who pass crosshairs and anything else that comes to mind. I, I, I like to say, you know, doing our bit to help. Um, because I started thinking, well, you know, there's all sorts of other people doing this and have done that and will do this. And, and I, I do want to give the impression that well, we think uh, we're the only game in town. So I, I'm going to start modifying that. Uh, but I will not go back <laughs> to the 600 prior podcasts or whatever there are and uh, correct it. Um, so they're, um, they're just, um, they've been corrected now. Hmm. So, uh, our guest is Ken Spiker. Uh, Ken's a very interesting fellow. Um, he was he was early on around Zen Center, and um, mainly came for lecture from Berkeley. And he was really close with uh, uh, some of the um, more far out uh, of the crowd. But he himself wasn't, and it's very interesting. Um, like he was close with Diane De Prima. I mean, that was that was as uh, as counterculture as you could get. Uh, oh yeah, I was involved with them too. Um, uh, and uh, Loring Palmer and uh, uh, other people, you know. And um, anyway, but he's just a really down to earth guy. Really, uh, very. Um, anyway, enough of that. Um, and, uh, you know, so I call him up and we talk and we get into that stuff some, but a lot of what we do is we talk about, you know, what is he up to now and, uh, what's it like there in Mendocino and so forth. And, um, you know, that is one of the things I want to do with these podcasts. It's, it's not like, um, uh, it's not like... I'm not trying to make uh, inspiring uh, 
Dharma podcasts that you can come to and uh, get enlightened or so they're, they're, they're really not uh, they're not aimed at, at uh, really uh, helping anyone along the path. <laughs> People do that on their own. Um, but, you know, it's the whole idea of a big, giving the picture of, you know, what what happened to all these people that, that passed through Zen Center back then? You know, like back then, there were, you know, if, if you look at some of the groups like uh, Iyasatani was doing all these sessions, you know, and people would have Kensho experience, and they say, oh, so-and-so got enlightened. I, I wonder how much follow-up there's been on any of that. You know, what happened to those people? And, um, you know, um, anyway, so uh, I I like doing this, and I want to keep doing it. I'm just doing it, you know, once a week now uh, because uh, uh, I, I've got to get other stuff done in that six days a week, although there was only one or two a week that would be uh, – guests, uh, after a while I thought, well, I don't really have to do that anymore. <laughs> um, so anyway, let's, let's um, you know, I was going to say let's call him up, but I think beforehand I would like to read to you um, some of his stories about Junyu Suzuki. Because like early on when I started... Um, Cuke.com, I guess, and there was some sort of outreach. I don't think he got hold of me before that. I don't know. But early on, he was sending me these these wonderful stories. Um, and he sent me other stuff, like looking at his page on Cuke.com now, which I did not refer to before I called him up. I see uh, there's, uh, if you know, just write Ken Spiker, G-E-N-S-B-I-K-E-R in the site search box on the homepage of Cute.com. And if that uh, uh, gives you trouble, go to another page to write it or hit the link for search. Uh, you know, sometimes things screw up for me because I, I use the website to, you know, get around and look things up too. Same as you. Um, anyway, there's stories about Shindu Suzuki. There's on Richard Sassoon. Now, that's very interesting. There's on Philip Wilson. Uh, and it says we have Ken to thank for saving this very early four-page version of the Heart Sutra chanted at Sokoji. Now, uh, when I came to Sokoji in, uh, you know, the San Francisco Zen Center in 1966, we had a two-page version. This is a one leaf. In other words, one, one sheet of heavy paper with the Heart Sutra printed on both sides in uh, the, the characters, the Chinese characters, the um, which you know are Japanese kanji, but I think actually they used a Chinese printer. I, I remember hearing that, uh, and um, uh, so on both sides, with the literal English that Suzuki put in there himself, in which Allen Ginsberg chanted, uh, and the Romaji, which is what we chanted, Ganji Zaibo, you know. Anyway, originally it was four pages, two, two sheets, four sides. Uh, and it's interesting uh, because it doesn't look too crowded on the one sheet, two sides. 
But that's on Cuke.com. There's a nice link to it here on this page. Then there's a little thing he wrote called Comments on a Cult and Trumpas Group, which is rather interesting. And then, I wish I'd asked him about this. I, you know, we talked about doing this again in half a year or something. On page 9 of the fall 1968 wind bell, we see that Ken Spiker played Shakuhachi at Richard and Virginia Baker's going away party to Japan that I, D.C., helped to put together with Jeannie Campbell. That's interesting. So, Ken, we met back then. Uh, we're trying to, oh, yeah, he said, I, I asked him if we'd ever met, and he said uh, at a, a, a book signing uh, and, you know, a book reading I did up in Mendocino years ago. But I would imagine we met then, too, or passed each other. That's cool. And, hey, Ken, I want to know uh, what the, uh, how you ended up there and all that, because I didn't know you back then. But uh, anyway, all right, so I'm going to read you uh, stories about Junior Suzuki. I'm going to read all of them. I'll just get into it. Uh, so he says, this he wrote in 2000. Uh, so maybe that's when we first uh, got contact. This is 1-13-2000. Oh, so that's exactly 23 years ago. Well, not exactly. It was 23 years and, <laughs> and uh, uh, 12 days ago or something. <laughs> um, right now, it's. I think tonight is the, in uh, here in Bali is, I don't know if they actually, how they say it, but, and, and uh, this is uh, Bulan Tilim. Bulan is month or moon, and Tilim is the new moon, right? Isn't that what we call the moon when it's like the opposite of the full moon? And, uh, you know, my lead guitarist in the, uh, the Bali Yuga, uh, little band we have here, his uh, professional name, is Gus Tillum, and but his name is Gus Seteja. But uh, I noticed at the recording studio they call him Gus Tillum, and that was uh, a name. The uh, last names here aren't family names. Everybody's got a different one. But he's got like two. I don't quite understand, but he's called Gus, Gus Tillum. Tillum is the new moon. He was born on the new moon. So anyway, uh, now it's going to get lighter and lighter in the evening. All right, so um, so anyway, he writes me. He's introducing himself. Uh, he says, I always thought of the Zen Center as my spiritual home, though I wasn't really ready to face the prospect of hard practice. I first became interested in Buddhism and Eastern religions by hearing Alan Watts on KPFA. Boy, you and a zillion other people. I began visiting the Zen Center around 1965 and often went to Zazen on the Wednesday night or the Wednesday night lectures by Suzuki Roshi. When I became interested in the Zen Center, we called him Reverend Suzuki. My friend Loring Palmer became a serious Zenny and lived near the Zen Center, but I lived in Berkeley, and Zazen seemed awfully hard on my legs. 
Was enlightenment worth all the, <laughs> all the leg pain and discomfort? I did tend to think about it on those terms then, but I had no doubt that Suzuki was the real thing. He seemed to radiate enlightenment. To me, many of the Zen students appeared rigid and masochistic, sitting ramrod straight and unmoving, even in less formal circumstances such as the lectures. But Suzuki himself appeared to possess a remarkable lightness of being and sense of humor. There was nothing rigid or formalistic about him. I attended many of the Wednesday night lectures and hung on every word. If I couldn't do a rigorous Zazen schedule, at least I might obtain some slight degree of insight from listening to him speak. I'm rooting I remember a number of his quotations and uh, especially some of the responses to questions from the audience. Seeing him in person completely changed my understanding of what Zen was about. And here is a quote. If you're not a Buddhist, you think there are Buddhists and non-Buddhists. But if you're a Buddhist, you realize everybody's a Buddhist even the bugs. Then Ken writes, someone at a lecture asked him about psychoanalysis. He said, you think the mind is like a pond and you throw things in and they sink to the bottom, like old shoes and things, <laughs> and later they rise to the surface. But actually, there's no such thing as the mind. And then Ken writes, at one of the lectures, he got up and told how he'd been invited to the Jewish Community Center to talk about Zen. They asked me all kind of questions. When you talk about reality, do you mean phenomena or nomina? Behind the phenomena. I didn't know how to answer. Suzuki laughed as if it was the biggest joke he'd ever heard. I just had to tell them, that that is not our way. A young student, Ken writes, I can't remember his name, was heavily into the hippie lifestyle, but at the same time was a serious sitter. Suzuki came to him one day and said, you smoke too much marijuana. Okay, the fellow said, I'll quit. You're the boss. Suzuki said, no, you're the boss. Ken writes, I noticed he never answered a question in the abstract. He always addressed the person who asked the question. Someone asked, You say that Zen is everywhere. Why do we have to come to the Zen Center? And he answered, Zen is everywhere, but for you, Zen is right here. Hey, thanks, Ken. Uh, that's <laughs> We've got a book named after that one, Zen is right here. And... Now the companion, Zen, is right now. And that's all because of you <laughs> and Suzuki and that student. And then I once asked him why anybody would do Zazen if they didn't have a gaining idea. He said, you still have one gaining idea. What is that? I wanted to know. He replied, that's a secret. <laughs> and he writes, 
When someone asked him about LSD, all he said was, enlightenment is not a state of mind. So, Ken writes, I remember one night when Trungpa spoke, as I remember it was in the Zendo, but it might have been somewhere else. Yeah, it was probably in the Buddha Hall upstairs at the city center. Suzuki introduced him. Trungpa proceeded to work his way through a six-pack of Colt 45 tall cans while he spoke. Good Lord, really? I never saw that. Wow. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> Suzuki sat off to the side, bemused. Obviously, he approved of Trungpa. How a person who drank all the time be enlightened I couldn't figure it out, and I still can't. I suppose it's a go-on for me, but Trungpa's talk was funny, and it seemed to me wildly perceptive. One item stands out in my mind. Trungpa said, Everybody wants to be a Buddha. Nobody wants to be a sentient being. Hmm. And he writes, I was very pleased to read in your book that Suzuki defended Alan Watts. Alan Watts has always been a hero to me, but he never seemed really enlightened, and he never said he was. I never knew him to be wrong about anything he said about Hinduism, Taoism, or Buddhism. And then it says here, I wrote Ken back and got this answer from him. I wish I had more stories of Suzuki Roshi, but those are the ones that stick in my mind. I remember a couple of other one-liners. The first, I can't remember now whether I heard Suzuki say it or somebody else reported it to me. Somebody asked Suzuki about various Hindu spiritual practices, and Suzuki said, must be very hot in India, lots of deliriums. Huh, I've forgotten about that one. <laughs> As a at a lecture, somebody asked him what he thought of Gurdjieff. He said, in Buddhism, we don't have spiritual heroes. That's very interesting. That's very interesting, huh? I mean, is Gurdjieff any more of a spiritual hero than... Suzuki, I mean, that's interesting. That that shows his take on that, huh? I'm enjoying this. Uh, I wasn't planning on reading it all, but anyway. I remember riding with Loring Palmer on the Fillmore bus one day when Suzuki got on wearing his little pillbox hat, and he smiled and waved at us. Of course, these are just snapshots. This is interesting. I met, maybe I met you at Loring's game because I used to live with Loring, but that was just, you know, like, like probably November of '66 till I moved to Tassar, or maybe even December in uh, March of '67. Uh, but Loring had, you know, a number of people came over there, especially to buy uh, his um, what he sold. Uh, and Ken says, I have a lot of recollections from the 60s. I met Alan Watts when I was working at KPFA. 
Wow, you worked there. That's cool. A very exciting time. I remember meeting Richard Baker and Philip Wilson. I used to watch Phil Wilson at Zazen to see how he did it because he'd been to AAG. I may very well have met you, but I'm not sure now. I do remember Eric Storley. Well, Eric was very close with Loring. I mean, they were both from Minneapolis. I corresponded with Loring Palmer in the 70s and 80s. We had some rather intense exchanges by letter about whether Trump was good for Buddhism. One evening in Boulder in the early 80s, he got me wonderfully drunk on a variety of imported beers. Yes, visiting Loring and Boulder was great because in the early 80s, he was like at the desk of the Boulderado, Boulder, Boulderado Hotel. Am I saying that right? Boulderado Hotel. And uh, people would gather in front, Trumpa students. And uh, uh, that's interesting because he'd say he got you wonderfully drunk. Uh, Loring was not much of a drinker. I mean, he would drink. He introduced me to um, Anchor Steam Beer. He took me out to the um, Anchor Steam Beer Brewery in San Francisco. And they had this giant wooden barrel. I mean, really, like 20 feet in diameter. And it had a spigot on it. I mean, this is the way I remember it. Uh, and uh, you could go drink beer there for free, and people did. And But Loring wasn't, um, he wasn't indulgent. He was, you, you know, like you say, I think you say in, in our podcast here, he was a serious person. He was. Um, and um, he was very understanding and accepting of everybody. Wonderful person. Anyway. Uh, and a true believer in all sorts of stuff. So, uh, Ken then concludes, thank you again for your book. I can't tell you how moved I was to read it. Well, thank you. I am also glad to hear that Suzuki suffered from forgetfulness, something that has always plagued me. I really knew nothing about Suzuki Roshi's life before the Zen Center. He seemed to have appeared out of nowhere from another dimension. I remember when bowing to him after Zazen, I noticed his pinky was bent. Actually, it wasn't his pinky. It's his fourth finger, I think, on the right hand. Is this a stylistic thing they do in Japan? I wondered. Then I found out from the book that it had been squashed by a rock. That's right. Okay. So, look, um, Thanks for letting me read you that. Now let's uh, let's give Ken Spike. Hey, Ken, write more. I like the way you write. Uh, maybe you can pull something out. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you've got some pretty nice stuff here. Okay, so uh, let's give him a call, huh? And uh, uh, see what uh, he and I um, have to say to each other. So um, when you hear the bell. If you have such a mind, hit pause and um, we'll meditate or whatever you want for as long as you want. And when you're ready to come back, hit unpause and then we'll hit the bell to end the meditation or whatever and give Ken Spiker a call. Or that's what we're pretending anyway. 
Well, there you are. It's an app I haven't used. <laughs> hey, this is very cool. You look great. You are a floating head with a black background. It's very yes, cool. Yes, I know. I know. Well, we tried different lighting in this room, and then somehow the the uh, overhead light, uh, you know, washed out the room, and then the faces were in darkness. So I decided to try using the light from the computer as the light. That's and, enough. You know, but yeah. I didn't mean. I, I I guess I appear like Zardos or something. You know the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Some kind of disembodied spirit. Yeah, you me up. So here I am. You know, you he would evoke me from the underworld. Yeah, right, right, indeed, indeed. So, um, Ken, Ken Spiker, um, have we ever met? Uh, yes, uh, you were in. Uh, in Mendocino, I think uh, you did a, a, a presentation, you know, maybe at the Mendocino Zen Center. I don't remember exactly where, uh, but uh, I knew, know I came to your, uh, to your uh, lecture or your, you know. I oh, guess really? You, yeah. Yeah. And I read your books and I, you know, I contributed to one of your books. Oh, you sure did. Your memories of uh, Suzuki Roshi um, are—they're—they're uh, they're really good, and a, a number of them are in those little books. Zen is right here, and Zen is right now. Um, and uh, and I, I suppose in Crooked Cucumber too. I can't remember. Um, anyway. Yeah, you you have a, a good m memory for highlights that are interesting. Not yeah. everybody does. Yeah, well, uh, of course, that's the human memory works that way. You know, it's like if there's something uh, something that has an emotional response. Uh, you know, yeah. I suppose it could be intellectual too, because yeah. like you know, in those days we were. Uh, we were all following Suzuki. I lived in Berkeley. Yeah. And I lived in a communal house with a bunch of weirdos and artists. And, <laughs> Anybody and, I knew. And, uh, you know, with characters like Daniel Moore and uh, Richard Sassoon. And oh, I mean, wow. I, we shared a house, Richard, and, and other crazy artists. And People would, you know, we would uh, go to lectures by Suzuki, and uh, then we'd come back, and then we'd tell everybody what he'd said. You know, it was like his uh. And I remember some of his quotes, you know, and I, uh, but, uh, you know, and I I don't, uh, I think what I, what you published in Crooked Cucumber was, uh you know, about what I remember. And a lot of those quotes, you know, because we shared them, I'm not sure that I witnessed them in person, you know. I do them. understand. Yeah. but Same uh, with me. I heard so many stories. So after a while, I don't know what I experienced and what other people did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
anyway, it was yeah. it was you know tremendously influential. It just took a long time, you know, and I'm glad I'm still preserved, you know, because uh, you know I'm like you know the the bull the the ten bulls. Yeah. They, see, like I'm in about the first or second stage <laughs> there, like I sighted the bull, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and, the, the, uh, yeah. You know, and the rest, I mean, there's there's our lives, you know, and our opinions. I think people's opinions, you know, about life and so on are very superficial. You know, what gets, hmm. what gets them emotionally, you know, and their connection. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as I get older, I get less and less interested because, you know, it's not that I'm withdrawing from life, but, but at this age, you see the repetitions. Uh, yeah. Everything comes around, you know. They're like. Yeah. Like <laughs> a, you know, like in politics, there's a. Everybody gets excited about something, and everybody gets, you know, uh, you know. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, and I mean, there's certain themes keep coming back, but the it's just like like a play, you know. The play goes on for generations, and they, only the actors change. What well, What are you What are you up to uh, these days? Where do you live, and and what are you up to? You seem to be pretty active. Well, I mean, I'm I'm kind of retired, or a reti I'm an introvert, you know. So I like being alone. I'll tell you that the pandemic was great for me and my my partner Phoebe. <laughs> I have a Phoebe, and uh, she's very smart. And uh, uh, maybe I'll have her come in and meet you in, in a minute. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, sure. Anyway. Uh, I uh, like like the pandemic was was we we just wrote it out because we're both introverts, you know. We kind of like to stay at home, and we have a couple of acres here, and it's very peaceful and uh, you know Where quiet. Are you? It's in Mendocino. Oh uh, yeah, I, I knew you were up the, north. You know, and you did mention Mendocino a little bit ago. You right. know Jackson State Forest. Well, uh -huh. that's, uh, that's the big forest in Mendocino County. Well, of course, it extends in inland miles and miles. Uh, mm -hmm. And then there's more forest even farther to the east, you know, except that mm. if you go too far east and get up in the, the mountains there, then you'll find that they're taken over by marijuana growers, you know, who are not, you know, they're not the the gentle hippies we used to know. They're like Mexican drug cartels and so on. That makes so, uh, hiking dangerous. Yeah, right. Well, Especially it used to. Yeah, I know. Anyway, not around here. I mean, in our immediate area. Mm -hmm. uh, and you will find personal gardens sometimes, but not the, the big growers, they're more inland. Mm. Anyway... Anyway, it's, uh, I mean, I don't understand why it's, I mean, I, they, they did a big, they, they screwed up in, in California because they, 
they're going to legalize pot and make it, you know, like uh, uh, make it uh, the, the California government would regulate it. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, collect taxes. I mean, it's a great source of revenue. I mean, there's there millions of dollars floating around. But the yeah. trouble is that they, they made the rules. And so the growers that were signed up, you know, for the, as official growers, they, they had to pay money. They, they had to pay taxes on all our stuff. And the growers that didn't sign up, you know, the guys that were just growing it, you know, and had been growing it and everything, they didn't need to sign up because there was no penalty for not signing up. It's like the revenuers and uh, uh, like the, uh, uh, the, the stills in the South. Uh-huh. It, it took federal federal uh, enforcement to like the revenuers to go and and uh, you know uh, tear down the stills because uh, the states wouldn't do it the people were making money mm-hmm. so so there's a lot of money being made and there's a lot of of big money coming in and there's a lot of you know really shady deals in other words, they decriminalized it, but the criminals are still running it. Ah, that's very interesting. And, mm. and because they're and and meanwhile, the tobacco companies, I think, are trying to get in on it too. So there'll be, in other words, where whereas the Mendocino hippies used to think, you know, well, we have this little garden, and we're we're just out there getting high and making money, and uh, we're not hurting anybody. And, uh, you know, it was a lifestyle. They even made movies about it. You know, it's real, you know, yeah. you stone and go out with your plants and, you know, kind of hide it because the camp, which was the. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Would come over. And I guess they're still doing stuff like that, but not much. Anyway, I don't I'm not an expert on this, uh, this subject. Yeah. I just, that I'm in, we're kind of like in, in one of the centers of it. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. where we are, it's there's no. See, I don't understand. Well, I do understand. It's crazy, but I mean, alcohol is worse. I mean, alcohol is a serious. Uh, I mean, it's a debilitating drug, and it causes enormous harm. And we, yeah, and it's associated I, with you know, violence. Yet, yeah, exactly. And auto accidents, you know, it's like there's this guy from, uh, well, I'm, I mean, it's, uh, there's millions of cases, there, but there was a guy in uh, the Zen Center when I was going there and uh, who was a young student and uh, very, very, uh, I mean, he was a lot more into it than I was. And he got killed on the Bay Bridge by a drunk driver. Oh, I didn't know that. Is that right? Do you, what year was that? I don't. I wouldn't know. I think it was in the seventies. It was uh, Suzuki was still around, so I'm not sure. Well, Suzuki died in seventy one. Your stories yes, so go back to mid sixties. The guy's name was Green, and I can't remember his first name, but he was a friend of Lori. 
His last name was Green. I he was. I'm, Loring never mentioned that to me. I I didn't know that. That's really interesting. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> well, Loring is. Uh, you know, I was good friends with Loring. You know, we were buddies. And I Loring, know. Loring came from a. Uh, he. He was, uh, I think, raised in a Swedish, a sort of Swedish Lutheran. I'm not sure exactly what the name of it, and his brother, uh, you know, up there in Minnesota. And uh, that's a kind of severe kind, uh, kind of uh, Protestantism. So oh, I think he brought uh-huh. that into, into Zen. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you I knew his brother to, uh, too. I mean, I can hear you. I think you're uh, well. I don't know if you're frozen or not. Sometimes you don't move around a lot. <laughs> uh, anyway, are you reading yeah. me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, I was just saying, Loring was. Uh, he was a. He was a psychedelic ranger when he came out here, and uh, and we were we were dropping acid, and uh, he was very serious though about a spiritual past, and we weren't just hedonists, you know. We were, you know, like uh, it's sort of like psychotherapy would have been one answer, but no, you know, it was too expensive. Who? You know, it just wasn't available. It really, you know, people went to Zen because they couldn't afford psychotherapy, I think. <laughs> anyway, Loring was very, uh, very serious, you know, about it. He's very serious about his acid trips. I We used yeah. to drop acid, you know. I remember one night we went into some place in, uh, I think it was called Williams College. It was up on... Uh, I don't know if it was Euclid Street, one of those streets that went up into the hills, and it was a a large frame building which had been used as uh, some kind of uh, academic uh, site. Anyway, I just remember this acid trip we and Loring got. I think I Loring stayed there, and I went down to to get some uh, supplies, you know, some food. At the mm-hmm. local pack and pay or whatever it was called, you know, and and I drove all the way down. I was, you know, out of really stoned on acid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Loring stayed there. I went to this place, and there was this, uh, you know, one of those uh, convenience stores. It's all all uh, lit up neon and everything and uh to get supplies for uh, you know and everything everything i mean it was weird driving on acid it's insane of course but actually i did very well and yeah i went down there with this girl who i'm not sure who it was now it's the way memory works but i remember meeting a guy in the store you know and of course, here I am, you know, every, there's a lot of colors and lights flashing and uh, uh, I'm kind of drifting around like I'm a, 
disembodied spirit. And this guy comes up to me and I knew from Telegraph Avenue. And he says, uh, do I look strange to you? You know, one of the guys I used to see around. And I said, uh, you know, well, no, you're perfectly normal. <laughs> and of course, he's like, sort of like fading in and out and the colors are going all over his face and everything. Yeah. And he says, he, he gets up close to me and he says, I'm on acid. <laughs> he wanted me to tell him that he looked normal. <laughs> That's great. Anyway, I'm just saying that, that, and of course, I'd go up there and, and Loring would, I think this time he took, uh, he'd take LSD and he takes, uh, it was some kind of, something like Robitussin. It's a cough medicine. No, he'd take Romilar. Romilar. Well, maybe that was it. Anyway, yeah, it was like a strangely uh, psychedelic-type cough medicine. Yeah. Dextromethorphan hydrobromide was the drug in it. And then at the in the morning, he kind of unwound himself from his lotus posture and, and said, I said, how was it? And he said, I didn't get the colors so good this time. No, you shouldn't take... Rome, uh, Rome, uh, with acid, you should not take Romilar. Uh, Romilar uh, distorts everything. It's uh, very I strange. Know. I know, but this was this was really before Suzuki, and oh, uh, mm -hmm. and then uh, I guess I guess he, uh, you know, I don't know who went there first, or you know, we went together, I suppose. And he was hooked on uh, on Zen, <laughs> and he was very, you know, you know him. He was uh, one of those guys that just can sit in lotus posture, you know, for sessions and all day. And he had a very good, what they call a very good seat, a very good, you know, he was very mm -hmm. good sitter. I thought he was very literal minded. He was, you know, like. Uh, He'd, uh, he also was on this special diet. I mean, he was ascetic. And I think it had to do with being a, something like a Swedish Lutheran. But he, uh -huh. he, he was, uh, you know, he macrobiotic. was not just going. Yeah, he was on macrobiotic. Yeah. And uh, well, macrobiotic, is, they called it the Zen microbiotic diet, macrobiotic yeah. diet. but. It didn't have yeah. anything to do with Zen, except Zen monks didn't eat very well often. You know, they ate a lot of rice. And uh, <laughs> and his brother was on it, too. I went to, I'd hang out at his house in San Francisco, and they'd be sitting rigidly at their table, you know, with these Japanese chopsticks, which I never learned to use. I don't have any <laughs> Chinese chopsticks, but the Japanese, a little hard to pick up those grains of rice. And, uh, <laughs> and they, he'd sit there, very, they'd be very quiet, and they had a, you know, they'd say a Zen prayer. Uh, 
It was a great prayer, too. That I mean, this is one that they did at the Zen Center, which is we are thankful for this food, which is the product of the work of other beings and the sufferings of other forms of life. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And they'd sit very kind of rigid and eat this with their little chopsticks and uh, be very quiet at the table. So he was really mm. into it. You know, except I thought he was too literal-minded. You know, there was something about Zen requires a kind of. I mean, that's my opinion. I uh, I think he. I was, I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, yeah, uh, that manifested itself with Loring. You and I both stayed in touch with Loring until he died. That manifested itself with him his whole life. Yeah. Uh, in the the. The ideas and the people he'd follow and how he'd get into things and uh, yeah. Now, did you know Daniel Agee? No, I mean you can say these names, and I may have known them, and I don't remember that name. Well, he's the one that turned uh, Loring and John on to macrobiotics, and. He was a wild man, and he was. Uh, they were very close with him back in those early days when you knew him. Uh, but he was, I guess, he was after you, uh, and he wasn't living in Berkeley. He was living in San Francisco. He was with the Zen Center. A true wild man. Yeah, I, I know this one guy that was. Uh, kind of wild and that may be I can't remember his name so it may have been him who was uh, and I wrote this story about this guy who was uh, you know he was uh, he, he got into lotus my problem was I couldn't do lotus posture and that kind of put me off but you know because of you know just my geometry and so on anyway to, uh, he this guy may have been the guy I'm thinking of who was, uh, uh, and I taught, uh, this was in your book, which I, uh, uh, who would, uh, Suzuki uh, uh, went over to him once and said, you smoke too much marijuana. And the guy said, uh, okay, I'll, I'll give it up. You're the boss. And Suzuki said, no, you're the boss. Oh, no, that's not Daniel. Uh, I remember that story. I can't remember who it is right now. Uh, in fact, I don't know if I even say who it is. Uh, I did I get that from you? Well, you may have, because I think I told, told it, and you may put maybe put it in your book. I can't re I got the book. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember now who it was, uh, and maybe I didn't know who it was. Uh, hmm. Yeah, that's a really good exchange. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I'll, yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll quit. You're the boss. No, you're the boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was. It was like he was so. Uh, Dan, I mean uh, Suzuki was so. I mean, we met him on the bus once. Me and Loring were riding the Fillmore bus. And yeah. Suzuki got on and he had his little pillbox hat and he just yeah. smiled and waved at us, you know. It was so, <laughs> you know, so funny to see that in a way, out of his context, maybe. Yeah. Let me let me ask you, 
you're retired, you said. What are you retired from? Well, I'm retired from being a handyman. Oh, <laughs> is that a, right? A, a, I was kind of an independent contractor in Berkeley. Before that, I worked for an electronics firm, and I was an assembler. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Really? Wow. Wow. Well, you I, I, I can see a picture of you, like, maybe on your back porch in Mendocino. Very nice. It, uh, it's very nice where you live. Yeah. Uh, yeah we, we have lots of trees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where were you born? I was born in Kansas City, Missouri. Hmm. Mm. The city where everybody thinks it's in Kansas. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, it was more rural then. But, of course, my parents were rurals. They came from the, uh, from the countryside. My father was a farmer, or he was uh, a son of a farmer. They had a long line of farmers. And uh, mm. my mother and my father both went to college, so that was... Uh, Oh, you know, so my father was a civil servant, and mm. uh, he uh, moved us around the country. You know, I think it disorganized me, but you know, he uh, mm. we used to live in Washington D.C. Well, we lived in Washington D.C. during the Second World War, and when oh. I was, in, you know, first grade, second grade. Uh, you know, uh, the kids uh, were all playing, you know, war games, you know, and somebody. Was... What year were you born? 1937. No kidding. I had no idea. Wow. Wow. You're in good shape, man. Well, I, mm. I try not to drink alcohol. I. I mean, I yeah. when I was younger, it's a, and I don't. It isn't like I'm, you know, wouldn't. It just doesn't agree with me anymore. And I never had a lot of fun with it. I'll tell you. Uh, yeah. Uh, they say there are certain genetic types that are more, you know, that are more susceptible to alcohol. I don't know. That's right. That's true. <laughs> I can tell yeah. you. I know. <laughs> But a lot of these guys that I respect, I mean, I like Alan Watts. I, I He was one of my gurus, really. I mean, uh, I went to some yeah. lectures. I mean, we had a personal relationship. But I, you know, he kind of was one that introduced uh, Zen to everybody, to uh, the yeah. Eastern religions. And I thought he was, uh, you know, a very smart guy. And uh, I... I liked him personally, though we didn't have much of a relationship. I did meet him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, but he was alcoholic. Definitely. And, uh, you know, and it, you know, but, uh, and, and, uh, Jan, he drank too much, I think. Jan, Jan Willem van der Vatering was uh, the Dutch guy who uh, yeah. wrote the, the Empty Mirror, and he wrote a, a whole bunch of mysteries. I like yeah. his mysteries, because he, he wrote these mysteries, and they were all had a lot of Zen in them, and they all took place in Amsterdam. Mm. 
Yeah, I had, I he was wildly enthusiastic about uh, thank you and okay, and and then, but he said uh, he said you'll never be able to do a biography. It won't work. Other people have tried it, and then he was wildly enthusiastic about Crooked Cucumber, um, and he'd write me um, he'd write me letters. Like really good letters, and I I'm not very good at that, and I think I disappointed him because I didn't have a I didn't help keep a lively letter writing relationship going, but I really liked him and I liked what he wrote. Uh, I mis I read some of his mysteries; they were good. Um, his last book uh, After Zen, did you see that? Yeah, I got that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. What happened to the? Well, it was one guy that, <laughs> I mean, it's he's a great storyteller, and I I really yeah. appreciate that. That's one of my you know, and he uh, he wrote about uh, the guy that that couldn't stop building. You know, he built houses and sheds and everything, and uh, he seemed really lonely, and he said, "Why not?" And Jan kept telling him, "Why don't you go down to the local bar and pick up some girl? You know, there's all these, you know, nice middle-aged women who need a partner. You know, but he could never, you know. He had great stories. I mean, I like the storytelling. I don't know him personally, so I never, you know, he might have been very abrasive, you know, in person, but mm -hmm. I liked his stories." Yeah, I missed him. He came out to California, and I, I, I didn't get to meet him. Too late now. <laughs> so so how are things there? It must be you're tropical, and you're like a different time zone. You're like a whole different uh, culture. Yeah, uh, that, it's nice here. They don't have a, we don't have all the issues yeah, they got in America, <laughs> you know. Uh, people are pretty laid back now. They just passed a law here that that you can go to uh, jail for a year for having sex outside of marriage, uh, and um, that that people who aren't married can't live together. Uh, you know, opposite sex, and so that's not bad for homosexuals, <laughs> but. <laughs> They also pass a law you can't you can't slander the president and public officials, but I think they're just they're just giving the the fanatic Muslims, uh, you know, they have to give them stuff now and then to keep things going, and uh, I don't think it'll matter much. I don't. In fact, they made it where only a family member can report <laughs> the sex outside of marriage. Uh, uh, are the yeah this, yeah so I don't think it's going to matter much and tourists it's supposed to apply to tourists too you can't couple can't come here unless they're married uh, and well I mean do you do you live in in Bali or do you live you live like with Muslims yes we live in Bali oh I'm I'm I don't live with Muslims but I'm around Muslims all the time I have no problem with Muslims. Uh, uh, my yoga teacher is a gorgeous Muslim woman, and we have wonderful talks. And she has a, a like a Muslim guru. She says very interesting things. Um, 
and I I go to the Hindu ceremonies and stuff. So I'm, uh, basically, you know, it all gets down to sort of, like you said, people believe things and stuff. Uh, basically, they're animists, really. They make offerings to spirits. And same in Japan. Uh, Japanese, they're either atheists or animists, really. <laughs> uh, uh, and but um, you know the term run amok comes from Indonesia uh, and uh, so uh, they th there have been instances in their past where they, they've uh, totally freaked out uh, as a nation uh, but it's really nice now uh -huh. well that's good yeah. I mean, I, I find uh, there's something about American politics that's very fraught, you know. But if you live like where we live here, you know, we have kind of a village life, you know, and people are not, uh, they're not uh, all, you know, there's something about the media in America, and it's got worse. You know, I mean, it used to be Walter Cronkite and, uh, you know, TV and they'd, you know, bring the new, but now it's, uh, you've got the internet and you've got, uh, it's sort of like contagions which go through the internet. And because yeah. you don't have the unifying factor of having the three big networks and PBS, uh, which kind of, uh, in a way that stabilized the country, but now you've got uh, all kinds of, uh, of websites and uh, they're big concerns. They have millions of followers, but they're all split, like with uh, uh, among uh, different opinion groups. And they're like right, that's right. And a right. kind of each one's a kind of orthodoxy from right to left. Yeah, and you can pick the one that you can agree with, but you don't hear the other side. It's like, you know, just you hear enough people that agree with you and that's it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and yeah. I, I, I tend to sort of back off from that. I mean, there's one thing that, that I really don't like, and that's the idea of, of uh, you know, like uh, pushing kids into uh, sex change operations. I mean that's that's kind of a, a a real evil that's been going on. Yeah, that really I I don't understand that uh, that that doesn't sound good. But you know, uh, it's probably things get blown up also by uh, media and social media. Uh, they're always trying to rile people up because they get more they make more money that way. So I, I imagine it's something that will that will pass. It's always right. weird, creepy things happening. I know. And the uh, thing is that, that the kind of media we have there shoves it in your face. And the, the yeah. way the algorithms work, you know, like, you know, yeah. meat, more red meat, you know, <laughs> I, I was sort of looking for a dialogue with my peers, not, you know, not all kinds of, crazy sensationalist. I mean, in a way, I have a w weird sense of humor. So in a way, I dig the weird sensationalism because I, 
I sort of like, uh, I'm also attracted to the grotesque because I think human life itself is in some way grotesque. And if people should get more into like, their, well, <laughs> they're I hear grotesque. you. <laughs> you know, and realize that they're not, nobody's normal. <laughs> That's right. That's great. That's great. I And I'm, I'm very sympathetic with what you said. Um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I can, I can definitely grok that. That's good. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we, and science fiction too. We'll talk about that someday, uh, because that's that that word is is right from uh, uh, what's his name, the science fiction writer. Oh, I want you to meet Phoebe, though. You know. Oh yeah, hey Phoebe, come on over here. I want to see your disembodied ad. <laughs> well, I'm sorry about that. Uh, Phoebe, is there Phoebe? Come on over, Phoebe. That's all right. We'll all be in darkness. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, uh, all right. Where is she? Hi, Phoebe. <laughs> oh, hi there. How are Hello. you? I thought there would be more light from the computer and from the... Uh, we have a light here. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, hi. Yeah, that's great. You look great. Uh, well, so, uh, Phoebe, how'd you meet this guy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Was it at the cafe, the Mediterranean Cafe on Dwight um, Telegraph Avenue in the 60s, or was it riding my bike to work? when I was a clerical worker at Cal in the early 60s, and he rode by on his bicycle. Yeah, he ah. was, uh, I knew her for, 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 I knew her for 20 years before we got, got to together. <laughs> Is that right? Is that right? Oh, and then he mm. knew my sister. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 So it's early days of Berkeley. Yeah, yeah. Was you, you've you've known each other a long time since the mid sixties. Yeah, yep. Since yeah. around sixty two or sixty three or sixty four, we'd be on a demonstration against the war in Vietnam, and the, you know how everybody's waving their flags and marching, and Ken would yeah. be marching. By. Hi, Phoebe. Bye, Ken. Hi, Phoebe. You know, yeah, we'd, oh, be, we'd meet and during a demonstration. You know, <laughs> I knew her, and she knew me, and. We'd say, oh, hi, Phoebe. And all of a sudden, this tear gas canister would come <laughs> crashing down, you know, at our feet. And we'd both run off and not see each other. <laughs> for a couple of but I guess we officially got together. Um, gosh. Yeah, somewhere in the 80s. I know, yeah, uh, right, the 80s. Late yeah, 80s. Yeah. Early 90s. He had to we, fix the light bulb for me. <laughs> oh, oh, that's great. So, um, did, did uh, how, how long you been in 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 Mendocino, Kent? Oh, about twenty years. We left Berkeley, and, and you two, you two, Phoebe, have you been yeah, here twenty years? We came together up here. We let, I had oh. a little house on uh, Hopkins Street, uh, North oh. North. In Berkeley, and we were go. We got together, I guess, in the nineties, 
the late no the late eighties. Yeah. The late eighties. Yeah. We got together. Huh. <laughs> I went wow. to law school and um, you know, clawed my way up the ladder to law school. And um he was like my we he'd take me walking to keep get me out of my head and into physical action. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh. We used to bike in the Berkeley Hills. Yeah. Oh wow. That's good. That's good. And are you a lawyer? Did you become a lawyer? Yeah, I actually did become a lawyer. And I'm actually now retired. Co with COVID, uh -huh. I finally got to close the shop and say goodbye. And now I'm just home. Uh, what type of law did you do? Well, I did everything. I did. I, originally, I wanted to be a labor lawyer for the pro workers. And mm -hmm. I worked for CTA, the teachers union, for a while. So they have independent contractors. And when we moved up here, I was an independent contractor that represented teachers in Mendocino County. Mm. And um, then I did other, um, I did some, oh, I did special ed, you know, and I represented mm -hmm. either way, depending on who I was working for, either pro or con. And mm. um, now, then I opened up a little practice I had a building of a building in Fort Bragg and I just had my own oh. practice and wills trust and probate. And we originally started with a newsletter and Ken did all the technical work when we first came up here, a an education mm -hmm. law newspaper. Mm. And Ken did all the layout and printing and, and the editing, copy editing. How far is Fort Bragg from where you are? Well, we're on for we're on the coast. Uh, you know I mean for, we're like three miles from Fort Bragg, miles, from the city of Fort Bragg. We're in the unincorporated area. Uh huh. And how far are you from downtown uh, Mendocino? Uh, around five, uh, ten miles. Tim, um, I used to like, and I didn't do this a lot, but yeah, I've done it. You know, gone up and spent time in Mendocino a half a dozen times. I like to go up to Fort Bragg and take that train that would go over to where? Where would it go over to? Willits, Willits. I love that train. That's so much fun. I'd take it over there and take it back. Yeah, the skunk train. There was a train on the Skunk. They called it the skunk train. Oh, skunk train, skunk train, yeah. We don't know why. There, there, there was a cave-in on the tunnel, and I haven't been able to repair it. So the skunk train goes halfway to Willits and turns around and comes back now. Oh. And it's, it's become gentrified, and now it's so there's a wine and cheese bar and all the stuff that there wasn't when you were going on it. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, <laughs> that's great. Well, that's a nice area. I really like it. A lot up there, yeah. Hmm. So is it? So, am I close up? Yeah. <laughs> is it uh, over? <laughs> yeah. There, there's that. There's no. Uh, there's no plan. Well, there's a story Ken tells that I really like. Tell him about Bacchus and Philomena. Oh yeah, the, the myth. Hey, yeah. Stay here, and and uh, uh, you can. Uh, you can give him cues. Hey, tell about this. Tell about that. That's good. All right. Tell that story. It's a Greek. It's one of the Greek myths. 
one of the one of the Greek myths which doesn't end in uh, you know death and bloodshed. Uh-huh. <laughs> what is it? It's this couple, this oh, yeah. nice old couple called Bacchus and Philemon, and uh, the Greek gods. Uh, they they're very frugal and they're very friendly. They are very good to people that are you know they're they. Uh, embodied the, the quality of hospitality, which the gods really like. So the gods uh, decide they want to, you know, test them and uh, see uh, how they're doing. So uh, I think it was Apollo and uh, Hermes, and they change, they change themselves into human humans, you know, like mm-hmm. travelers uh, uh, down on their luck, you know. And they come to the the house of, and they knock on the door, and they say, you know, like, well, we're poor, we're poor ragged travelers, you know. Can you help us? And they say, come on in, you know. You, uh, and uh, they uh, they have a, a a bottle of wine, and they have a. I don't know, some leg of lamb or something. It's not much, but they say, we got it. You can have, you know, take take what you want, you know. And they, so the, the travelers, you know, they come in and, and uh, there's hardly enough to go around, but suddenly the wine keeps filling up, you know. It's like there's always uh-huh. wine plug and there's uh-huh. always, on the table and they have a big feast and then uh, and then the gods reveal themselves and they say you guys are really you know nice people and so we're going to give you and I think they give them you know like kind of a mansion or they I forgot it was the food it was the food there's an unlimited supply of food oh yeah Uh but they stayed what they gave them what they got. They stayed in their cottage, but they had an unlimited supply of food. They never ran out. They were never hungry. Ah, well, anyway, that's very nice. Yeah, but I really love the Greek myths, and I, uh, you know, that that is a Greek story that doesn't end in, in death and, and right, it's, bloodshed. Very nice. <laughs> All right, what else? What else you got in your sleeve? Oh, I don't know. No, I mean, you know, it's whatever you see. It's like that Zen story. I mean, I know uh, you must know it. There's a a Zen student goes up to a Zen master and he's been frustrated for a long time because somehow like he's done, he's, you know, done all the meditations and the recitations and so on. And he says, you know, I don't get it, you know. And he thinks, you know, you must be withholding something from me. You know, I mean, you're not really giving me the real teaching. It's we're just doing these uh, exercises. And the Zen master takes him out and, uh, uh, you know, out in the countryside. And he says, well, do you feel the wind on your face? And he says, uh, yeah. And he says, well, do you see the trees? You know, do you hear the water running in the creek? And the guy says, yeah, I hear it. And the Zen master says, well, what have I hidden from you? Yeah, that's good. I don't know that story. I really like it. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a book called Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. That's Oh, is that from Zen Flesh? Well, then I've read it, but a long time ago. <laughs> Love that book. That book came out in like 58 or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Paul Reps. Uh, we got to meet him. He, he hung out at his Zen Center and some wonderful guy, like a sort of pixie. He was, he was very cherubic and very neat. He painted a couple of walls at Green Gulch in the student dorm area. What, like bright yellow, the whole thing. And then, I think one was yes and the other was no or something. And I I would assume they're painted over now and they should have been preserved as um, as uh, treasures of the Zen Center. Uh, but anyway, I, I didn't have a choice in that. Uh, and he got Zen Center into fat pants. Uh, where, like Chinese pants, you know, that are really open. And there was this whole period there, like late 70s, early 80s or something, uh, or maybe just late 70s, where we, everybody was wearing fat pants, and it was very comfortable. Uh, and and uh, Elias Stitchery was making them and selling them. Paul Reps, he was great. Great. Everybody liked Paul Reps. And he was a student of Nyogen Suzaki, and the book, Zim Flesh, Zim Bones, I think is reps with Senzaki and stories he learned from Senzaki. So it's so, getting to be an hour. Uh, well, do you, do you, do you, well, I guess we should wrap it up. Do you, um, do you have any, uh, oh, well, first, Phoebe, do you have any final comments? Uh at the beginning, at the beginning of my growth, which wasn't following the Zen path necessarily, uh, a friend died, which is when we were just in our early years at college or at 18, 17 or 18. Mm. And somebody died and we were all at his house in his room. He died of an, in an automobile accident with other mm. people in it. He's the only one. he died. So we all went to his room to sort of say goodbye. And um, I wrote without really consciousness, I didn't know what to say. And I wrote, je n'ai, and I hope I can remember it, je n'ai pas de mots. Anyway, it's in French. I don't have any words. And mm. um, that's what I would say only <laughs> I'd have to check my French to make sure I had the words right. Je n'ai pas de mots. And what does that mean? I don't have any words. And I was only I was only 18 or 19 when I wrote that. And That's what uh, Hoichi Suzuki, Shunyu Suzuki's son, said to me when I called him up. I was living in Japan then and told him that uh, Dining Katagiri had died. Uh, the, the Zen priest that uh, helped Suzuki at Zen Center. And he said, in Japanese, he said, I don't have any words. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Excellent. But my, he's the boy. He's yeah, the guy. He's one the guy. of the. He's a special guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he is. And 
I was I just wrote this quote, you know, like on my notes. Uh, uh, <clears throat> some uh, and I can't remember who the the guy was. He was a uh, one of the Indian scholars and uh, gurus who was like in the 1950s. And I'm not sure if it was Sri Aurobindo or one of those guys. And somebody once asked him, which is faster, the tantric way or uh, the regular way of meditation, which is the fastest way to enlightenment? And the, the guy said, Oh, the tantric way is much quicker, but no respectable person would do it. <laughs> I Yogananda, it could have been Yogananda. Right. Yeah, I don't think it was Yogananda, but it could so have been. Sri Aurobindo or Ramana Maharshi, he died, he died in 1950. Uh, yeah. so, uh, well, Ramana Maharshi is an interesting guy because I... Yeah. I think he was, uh, you know, I think he was another one of the real guys. Oh, yeah. I spent time at his ashram uh, just 11 years ago. Spent four months yeah. there. I uh, living yeah. near a few minutes from it. What I, I loved it there. It was wonderful. Uh, I have great respect for him. Yeah. I have only known you for several decades now through email and Facebook Messenger, you know, uh, fairly brief exchanges. And I've read, you and Loring would get into these discussions. Oh, <laughs> there I, we got go. oh. I, I, got, I got a pile of Loring's letters that he wrote me. Yeah. You know? um, uh, now, are these letters written in longhand? Yeah. Was, he was yeah. trying to do calligraphy, uh, you know, italic handwriting, and it was funny because he did a lot of italic handwriting and he never got it. But he did. He was real good at italic handwriting. Yeah. Ken, would you what? would you tell me what what are you saying? I said I interrupted. I'm sorry about that, but I was saying that Ken was very good at italic handwriting, at calligraphy. A italic handwriting. Yeah, it's calligraphy. It's uh, oh calligraphy oh calligraphy calligraphy oh oh okay I just didn't yeah. understand what you were saying. Yeah. There. And, and Lorraine was writing in that style also to Ken yeah. in the letters. Oh yeah, well, Lorraine would be following some guru or into some following some conspiracy theory or something. Uh, Ken said he could be very literal. Yeah, he had a tendency to believe things. Uh, which is yeah. dangerous. <laughs> well, he got into, we got into it. He, he was in this uh, Occupy Wall Street. He got real excited about Occupy Wall Street. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you know, it was sort of a grassroots. Uh, we don't like this uh, hyper organization of all the finances. I mean, they had a point, I think, but they got uh, they got sort of off the rails. And what Loring was doing was he was going around about how all the bankers, they're the wicked people, the evil people, the bankers, <laughs> the money people, yeah. you know, sort of like I, I keep telling him, you know, they're, 
from the Buddhist point of view, they're all, you know, suffering beings. They're not, you know, we don't like get obsessed with their, their social roles, you know. That's well said. That's well said. Also, you know, even talking about it politically or in the, you know, mundane way, uh, th things I think are much better approached by looking at it saying, well, maybe it's a little out of balance. Not just we got to get rid of this other thing, you know. I mean, <laughs> um, so a lot of things uh, we tend, especially as you pointed out early on, where we get like really super polarized. Whereas sometimes just you know tweaking things some or not taking it so seriously, and you know come to some compromise or whatever. A lot of a lot of societies, more primitive societies, are, are run on consensus uh, and uh, coming together, and, you know. But we're we're into tribalism now so much. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, you know, we don't identify with any tribe, and that's our problem. You know, we're, you know, you're kind of lonely when you don't. You're not part of the tribe. I we love it, but you know. <laughs> I I hear you. I I don't I don't really you know. I just feel like well, I'm a uh, human being living on Earth, and I'm sort of sympathetic to other human beings, and of course, I feel uh, a loyalty to where I came from and who I came from, and all that, and. We always care more about what is close to us, but um, God in Buddhism, it it doesn't. It's it's all beings. It's not just human beings. It's yeah, exactly. Beings. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, these. Uh, that's what really irritates me about the Christians is they, uh, uh, you know, they're so concerned about the the little fetus, but they're not. <laughs> But what about all those animals? You know, the animals are sentient. They, they're, you know, they may not speak language, but they're almost there. <laughs> yeah. If you have a relationship yeah. with an animal, you, you know that. Yeah. We have ravens here. They're, they're, ravens are the smartest of all birds. And, you know, they, uh, we have relationships with the ravens. <laughs> A raven once landed, we were, uh, with my prayer wife, Elin, we were living in Santa Fe, and a raven landed in in the backyard and just said hello to her so oh, wow. clearly, you know, <laughs> and flew off. <laughs> and yeah, their, their intelligence has been uh, shown definitely. Uh, wow. Mm. Well, let's... Uh, let Let's wind it down because, you know, it's way past our bedtime. I understand. It's 8.15 here. I... No, it's 8.15. All right, yeah. Well, hey, it's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, nice meeting you, Phoebe. I like your book. Oh, thank you. You have very good taste, I well, we, have your, we have your books yeah, up there yeah. in the no, bookshelf. I really did like the first one. Thank, thank you, I'm okay, or whatever. Thank you, no, and okay. Thank you, and okay. 
Uh-huh. I, I yeah. loved it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm perfect. All right. I'm working on a book called Tassara Stories now, but oh. uh, I don't think I don't think I can match those other two books, but it'll be something. I'll have to do so. I have to finish it. Uh, Did you know Del Carlson? Del Carlson? Oh, very well. I helped spread his ashes here in Bali. Oh, well, he was my high school art teacher. Oh, is that right? Did you happen to know a guy named Eric Kaljo Roos? Eric lives here. Uh-huh. And uh, Dell was his high school English teacher. Uh, Eric is like Ethiopian. No, no. Uh, but like, not either. You know, like near Finland. What are those little countries? Estonia. He might be Estonian. Uh, or Estonian background. But Dell was his high school teacher. Well, what do you remember about Dell? Just tell us real quick. Oh, Dale Carlson saved my life. And there was somebody called Margaret Johnson, not literally, but they we had a, a group, a, a youth group that Mar- Margaret Johnson, who was the another art teacher in I in Palo Alto, and Dale I I couldn't begin to talk about him right now except he's wonderful. And well, would you write I, me something uh, about Dale? I'll I'll try to I'll try to I'll I'll, I'll I'll see if I can, but uh, I know somebody that kept in touch with him, and when he moved out until his death, you know, mm-hmm. he, wherever that was in the Midwest or wherever he went. No, Florida. Florida. Well, it's all my memory. Deep memory is of the high school, and yeah, he was uh, amazing. What high school? It doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it's called Cumberly High School, Elwood P. Cumberly High School in Palo Alto. They shut it down and turned it into a senior center and made a fancier high school somewhere else. Uh, uh. But if I have a yearbook picture of him, I'll maybe we can scan it and send it to you if that's you know of any use. You know, I have a page. I have a great deal about Dell on my main website, cuke.com. Oh, I'll I'll look just, at the key. Just write Dale Carlson on the site search box. Okay. Uh, and and links will come up for him. Yeah, I got art of his and. Oh yeah. Oh, know. and his his grandmother was named Phoebe, I think. Oh really? Pat me on the head, or not literally, but because you know, but he he would tell me that his grandmother was named Phoebe. Oh, he, that's great. Well, he would come yeah. to Tassara every summer. Well, that's what clicked on me because I remember I learned about that later. He was totally involved in Tassa. Maybe I read it in your book. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. I learned that. Yeah, he and I would all whenever he came. You know, Dell was a a bit a bit grumpy and stuff. You know, <laughs> he'd yeah. he'd come. He liked it there because he was gay. I mean, he told me this, and he felt yeah, yeah. very comfortable in Zen Center. In case uh-huh. nobody cared, or you know, right. although he certainly didn't make a thing out of it, uh, right. he was pre-gay pride, uh, yeah, and right, and uh, although I'm not, he was happy for gay pride because then he didn't have to, you yeah. know, keep it a secret or whatever. I don't, I don't, didn't ever seem to be a issue with him, uh, but uh, every summer he'd come to Tassahara, and we would have 
a tea and talk, you know, what's been up and this and that. Uh, and that was always nice. Um, I was a little loud for him, you know, and uh, unruly. Uh, well, he knew a lot of kids. I mean, he took, yeah. he took a lot of kids. So I'm sure it was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he hung out with a guy named Isan uh, Tommy Dorsey, who's like the most famous gay uh, Zen teacher. Uh, uh, very interesting guy uh, who studied with Suzuki. Uh, and uh, uh, I was in touch with him toward the end. And, and I, then when he died, his um, his niece, Nancy, I think, she asked if I knew who Eric was. Mm. And I said, no. She said, well, he and his partner live in Bali. So I got in touch with them, and we've been close ever since. They live in beautiful villa in this, you know, terraced uh, rice field area, you know, and I live in the city. Oh, I thought he'd let, moved to the Midwest. I didn't know he'd no, gone to Florida. No, Del, Del moved to Florida. Yeah, that's what, I, right. I, I think it was yeah. Sarasota. You yeah, know, I, it'll say on the page about him. Yeah. Uh, and he right, was I into was, horses. He was into horses like... I don't know what type. Maybe it'll say. Uh, I'll look. And there's other things. It'll tell you other things about him I don't want to get into. Uh, yeah, you know. that's fine. He, he's actually sent me a card when we were up here because the, the person I knew was a, another high school student of his at, in, the, in the day. And George E.B. told him about where I, he, they'd found me where I was. And Dale wrote me a card, and I had no idea of all this stuff until I read your book or read about it. I mean, mm. it blew my mind. I, I, to me, he was just my high school art teacher. Mm. All right, time bed bedtime bedtime. Very yeah. good talking with you. Thanks a lot. Uh, Great. And until It'll we meet nice again. Book. Nice oh. to meet you. Yes. Nice Bye -bye. to meet you. So thank you very much, Ken Spiker. That was great. Thanks a lot. Good to talk to you. And, oh, you know, I can't remember your friend's name. I'd have to go back and listen. My my, my apologies, ma'am. Fun talking to you, too. Had a neat dear that you uh, studied with Dale Carlson in high school. This has been a cute audio podcast. I'm DC Poopa of Geek Audio and Geek Archives coming to you from Sleepy Sanur, Windogia Bandita, Vilanguchita, and dear lovely Katrinka. And we're wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening. <laughs>